0: Hello, and welcome to the Ninety Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by Nick Desemlin, editor of Empire Magazine and writer of the brand new book, The Last Action Heroes welcome to the podcast nick
1: hello thank you for having me um i'm very excited to be here and talk about this particular short but sweet film
0: it's really lovely to have you on because you're i mean your new book is is the last action heroes but a couple of years ago you had wild and crazy guys out which i think contained quite a lot of under 90 minute films a lot of those snl comedies that it focuses in on are in the 80 minute mark
1: yeah that's true the action movies tend to be longer and baggier
0: Thank you for bringing in uh, the Last Action Heroes. Um, I've been, I've got a, a sneaky early copy,
1: and it's been so much fun to read through. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's it's fun to be here talking about this film.
0: You've really like tapped into my sweet spot with both of these books, both of your books. Uh, you know, largely sort of focusing on the '80s and those films. That I think you know a lot of us who are into movies now grew up watching um you know where did i guess where did last action heroes come from is this uh, a passion a childhood passion or a sort of a more recent uh,
1: you know uh, avenue yeah well i think like you and like most people you grew up watching these movies i have a very strong memory of watching total recall while hiding behind the sofa being way too young and not really meant to be in the room while my brother was watching it with his friends and um yeah just grew up like loving these films and these guys and so writing this book in particular was like a you know a Like a nice hot bath of nostalgia of just revisiting it all and obviously like the the stories are absolutely insane like the more you dig into these films the more insanity you find like the behind the scenes stuff is like honestly often more dramatic than what's on screen and just in terms of like the egos and the craziness and the amount of money that was being thrown around so yeah it was a really fun thing to to research and then sort of stitch it together
0: the research is remarkable in both of the books like you, you make uh, quite a lot of h- film history really digestible and there's you know, anecdotes from various people involved in the film to sort of create a picture for the reader of you know some of the crazy stuff uh, that went down how do you how do you go about sort of piecing this jigsaw of, of film history together
1: that was the challenge was how do you write about diehard and terminator and and try and unearth stuff that hopefully people don't know and i do a whole chapter on Die Hard. i think that's the only film that gets its own chapter that's kind of the middle part of the book because that I kind of saw that Die Hard as being the transition from one type of action movie to another. There was like before Die Hard and after. So that was the challenge to like dig really deep and it was honestly just just as much research as possible like you know reading everything you could get your hands on going into the newspaper archives and like digging up and just then you'd find something you go oh, wow I can't believe that or the great little quote and then just speaking to people who were there the directors and writers and actors and the great thing about writing about the 80s and early 90s now in 2023 2022 is that people are at the age where they don't give a f-. like they will tell you the stories that they wouldn't have told at the time so often you would read uh, articles from the set and everyone is like oh yeah we're having a lovely time making this movie and then you talk to them now and they just like it's not the case they have stories about people being complete nightmares and raging ego beasts and yeah so you you get some you get some pretty juicy material this long after the fact like people are open to talking
0: that's the fascinating thing like with with there's some really well-known films in here films that a lot of us have seen and maybe like you know read things on heard people reference in pop culture but there's still lots of new stuff and i think it is because you're going to these primary sources to people who were actually there and yeah maybe now they're a little bit you know they've got nothing to lose
1: yeah and i think it just happens these eight you know i write about these eight action stars and um different degrees of, you know, some of them come off as as nice people, some of them are you know, nice. Sometime more complicated, maybe. And then there's Steven Seagal, who I, honestly I didn't go into writing this book with an agenda. Like genuinely, uh, I was try to find some stories about him being a nice a nice guy. But everyone you talk to who has encountered him just has the most outrageous stories about his behavior. And and so th- things just kind of become apparent in interviews what kind of p- people they are. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun talking to to the people who kind of just seem to hold on to these stories and it's almost like therapy for them to you know because these sets were often like war zones i talked to the two editors of rocky and they had some quite hair-raising stories about stallone who right from the start i actually i really enjoyed writing about stallone they're all fun to write about in different ways but stallone is to me like kind of endlessly fascinating, just this study of con- of contrasts of this guy who's making these bloodthirsty, super mega violent films, but he's into Edgar Allan Poe and reciting poetry and, you know, paints and it's just like, who is this guy? And he's really sensitive in some ways, but then he's, you know, got an entourage of muscle men with him and he's throwing his weight around. But yeah, right from the start with Rocky, his first real breakthrough film, he was a huge control freak. And uh, in Cobra as well, he worked with the director George Kosmatos, several times, and he was who was nicknamed George Komatos because he basically was so intimidated by Stallone that he would give in on every argument. So, when you see a Stallone film with directed by George Kosmatos, it's essentially directed by Sylvester Stallone. And I think, um, you know, the stories kind of accumulate, and so you get quite a good portrayal once you've spoken to a whole bunch of producers and writers and filmmakers you get you get quite a good sense of what someone is like and and cobra sits right in the middle of that stallone period of you know it was a few years after he discovered fur coats he had a big <laughs> fur coat face famously schwarzenegger uh, would mock his fur coats in interviews um but yeah he would he would wear fur coats on on set and um he was yeah he was uh this was him at his absolute zenith and he was so powerful and getting paid so much money and surrounded by so many people telling him he was brilliant that it's kind of fascinating watching the films that he was making because nobody was saying no to anything (laughs) and so you get these films that are so wild and you don't get anything like them these days Definitely the 80s for both comedy and action. I think that was really uh, the appeal of that period for me in writing books because, uh, I mean, it's unbelievable the stuff that got made. (laughs) Like some of it, truly unbelievable. And and just the risk that, you know, the, the amount of money that they would give untested people you know, that the, the Segal was someone's personal trainer and they would put him in a giant Warner brothers movie, <laughs> like, but it just doesn't happen anymore. Like it felt like in the eighties, all the grown, no, no ups were left in charge. <laughs> like the lunatics had taken over the asylum. So that's, that makes it really fun to write about.
0: Yeah. We were talking about uh, coming on the podcast and actually there yeah, very few films in the book are under 90 minutes, but we found one. How did you sell on Cobra for our 90 minutes or less submission? It was one of the films. I just couldn't
1: fit in to the book. And, um, I'd like to, have, I mean, there were so many things that I wanted to go deep into, like Tango and Cash, the stories behind that uh, insane crusade which didn't get made but there was a schwarzenegger verhoeven thing i interviewed paul verhoeven for the book and and got quite a lot on crusade but sadly it just didn't pacing wise i just couldn't put everything in so cobra kind of and over the top actually kind of get dismissed quite quickly but that doesn't mean that they're not worth talking about and um yeah like you said it comes in a 89 minutes um which is a lot shorter than it was meant to be it was um it was heavily cut by um well, by Stallone, I think by Stallone primarily rather than Warner Brothers. But um, yeah, the, as the as the legend goes, um, Top Gun came out just before Cobra. while well, Cobra was still in post production, and Top Gun was obviously a gigantic hit. And it and Stallone panicked, and he was like, "Right, we have to get make as much money from Cobra as possible. Want to beat Top Gun at the box office?" Uh, he just had Rambo four and sorry, Rambo two and Rocky four, which were both like monster hits. And so he he thought, "Well, if we can get Cobra." In, if we can get one more showing a day at the at the movie theater, then we can make more money. And so the edict was to get it down under ninety minutes. So yeah, just done purely for like crass commercial reasons. But I mean, you can kind of tell watching it, it's it's not got much in the way of like character development, which is one of its joys. um I mean, not for not for Cobra, and definitely not for the villains. Like. I've seen this film quite a few times and I have no idea what the villains want or what their agenda is or how they operate. They're in some kind of warehouse clanking axes together. Always oh, clanking axes. <laughs> it looks like a music video or like like Steelworkers, you know, in like an 80s power ballad. <laughs> yeah, it's so much axe clanking. I mean, it's like 70% axe clanking and it's a bold... Ed- some of the bo- ed- editing choices are quite bold. <laughs> well, They'll just cut in the middle of a scene to like axes for no reason and that's like a recurring thing all all the way through the film um but yeah it it doesn't make a lot of sense you don't understand why anyone is doing anything they're doing but that kind of adds to the fun i think
0: a tough detective nicknamed cobra sylvester stallone is assigned to protect a beautiful model project nielsen the only witness to a series of brutal murders it transpires that the killings are not the work of one psychopath, but rather a highly organized army of neo-fascists. This film was made in 1986 because, of course, it was. With a synopsis like that, uh, directed by uh, George Kosmatos, uh, as mentioned, um, and written by Sylvester Stallone, uh, and co-stars his wife uh, Bridget Nielsen at the time. I
1: think she was his girlfriend. I think they were. Ah, enga- okay. I think they were engaged at the time, but yeah, shortly to be shortly to be married this is very much a stallone
0: his fingerprints are all over um you know i guess as well, with, as, 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 well as her casting picking a director that he's already worked with and uh maybe directed through in sort of an out-of-body kind of experience yeah
1: for sure i mean it's got it's so eccentric and there's so many weird weird little things there's no doubt that most of it came you know it's it feels like stallone has made this I love Stallone and I love like the Rocky films you know quite fond of
0: the Rambo films as well Um, and this feels like maybe this was going to be his sort of third franchise like okay I've done an army man I've done a boxer I'm gonna be the coolest cop and the so first scene of this film is brutal it's it's Stallone um, Cobra uh saving uh, g- you're going into a hostage situation in a supermarket and uh and he's badass he drives in on his motorbike he's got his toothpick he's got sunglasses he's got a little machine gun um
1: and it just felt like an SNL sketch it's 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 MacGruber I swear <laughs> like I kept thinking of MacGruber the the SNL character played brilliantly by Will Forte. but yeah it's 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 like this character, I guess you could describe him by thinking, well, if you gave a seven-year-old boy free, free reign to create, like, design his own, like, what the coolest man on earth looks like, it would look like this. Like, did you catch what his license plate is on his car?
0: I know, I can't remember what was it.
1: Awesome fifty. <laughs> awesome fifty. Um it's I mean, but yeah, it's the matchstick, he's got the mirror sunglasses. I mean it's He's
0: got like you'd give that ca- one of those things to a character to make look cool in any other film. Like this guy's kind of a renegade. We'll give him some mirrored sunglasses. But salone's <laughs> like, I want a cool haircut, I wanna have a stubble, I'm gonna have a toothpick, I'm gonna have the coolest gun, I'm gonna wear gloves, I'm gonna ride a motorbike, everyone else rides a car, um he's gonna be a lone cop, you know, he's all of this stuff and I mean, he's called Cobra.
1: He's called, well, he's called Marion, but no one calls him Marion. I think he would definitely shoot you if you called him Marion.
0: Marion Cobretti. I quite like that his name's Cobretti, like they sort of explain why he's called Cobra. Um, me and my wife of uh, Louise, who edits the podcast, have just been shouting
1: Cobretti at each other around the house. <laughs> hey, Cobretti! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be one thing if it was other characters calling him Cobra, but it, the sad thing is he's like put a little Cobra on his gun. Yeah. So he calls himself Cobra. So presumably he goes around going, hey, um, call me Cobra. I mean, it's like you can't give yourself a nickname and then make everyone else call, uh, call you Cobra. It's it's very it's very David Brent, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it, this character is so cool that comes out the other side and he's just ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, maybe I, I wondered, like, uh, for contemporary
0: audiences, because at the time Stallone is the, one of the biggest stars on the planet in 1986, do, do you just sort of buy it at the time? Like, oh man, this is like a new uh, level of cool. We've never had someone this cool before. You thought the last guy was cool. This is the coolest guy. But now it does sort of feel like you know, we we've seen cooler guys than you, Cobra.
1: Yeah, is he the coolest guy in the film? I'm not sure. I think the robot wearing the fur coat <laughs> is probably slightly cooler. Uh, if only he teamed up with that. There is a Chuck Norris film I I, I watched for the book called Coda Silence, where Chuck Norris does team up with a robot at the end. Um, but sadly, uh, we don't see we don't see that happen. But it's it, it's 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 weird because Stallone had a bit of a robot fetish, I guess, in the 80s because there's the robot in Rocky Rocky Four. But um, yeah sadly the you know you want to see him team up with a robot and it it feels like this is the film where that's going to happen because there are so many robots there's a montage and there's like five minutes of robots and then that's it no more robots but it's like watching. a
0: show that joey Tribbiani from friends would have starred in <laughs> or, or something stallone and a, and a robot uh yeah no that was uh, yeah it's got all of these little things i keep reminding you this was made in the 80s very much made in the 80s <laughs> uh there but um but yeah, I guess, I mean, from from your point of view, when did you first watch Cobra? Is this a
1: film that you grew up watching or something that you came to later in later in life? I came to it pretty late, actually. I didn't see it till I was in my 20s. It, it wasn't one that I saw when I was young, which is a shame. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot. Um, but no, I, I didn't. Uh, I found it relatively late in the day. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely has stuck in my brain. And I don't think there's anything quite like it. I can't think of another film that... I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about it. One of the interesting things about it is it's kind of a horror action movie, which there aren't that many of them, you know, especially about a cop... But it really feels like a horror film to me, anyway. I don't know about to you, but it's just the way it's shot, the, the guys with the axes. What is
0: the fact that he's fighting this weird axe wielding army of neo fascists, as box tells us? Yeah, um, but it's, it's like, brutal. It's,
1: yeah, but yeah, I mean, it obviously has like elements of Dirty, a Dirty Harry film, but the Dirty Harry films don't feel quite so, you know, stylistic and the o- big opening where the sky is like red blood red and you've got the really intense music and it, it it does feel it yeah it does feel kind of apocalyptic like the vision that it paints of of america is like you don't want to live in la after you watch this
0: no very dystopian sort of uh vision of of, of the town and, and kind of lawless even though we do see a lot of cops but you know crime is is running rampant and the crimes are it sort of feels a bit like you know some of the darker batman stories where gotham is just a write-off <laughs> you know and, and the fact that this is this brutal gang uh, running around it, it really struck me how violent this film was i know i think reading some about this film it could have been more violent and they kind of cut it down but um you know because they are axe wielding <laughs> Murderers. You do see some really gory stuff, and and yeah, uh, you know, we, we see violence in these films. A lot of the films mentioned in your book, you know, people are machine gunned down or shot or whatever. But um, because it is, you know, it's like yeah, it's fighting with axes, and it's 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 just kind of extra horrible.
1: It's yeah, it's bleak. Well, I mean, it was rated X um when it was first like given to the censors, and I I haven't seen. I mean, apparently you can see some of the the, the cut stuff online if you look in the right places. But apparently it like made a note some of the cuts to avoid an X rating include the first murder victim having her hand severed, uh, an extended autopsy scene including lingering shots of naked and mutilated bodies, and then a shot of the, the photographer uh, played by um, Carl from Succession, by the way, the sleazy photographer in this. Uh, the, the, there was a shot of him slipping on his own blood while trying to escape. More deaths, a person getting hit in the face with an axe. Like, it's, it's not your average action movie. Like, it's really, really, really dark. And I don't know what was going on in Stallone's life at the time, that. He was kind of exercising it through this film.
0: I think in my, in my head he's like, this is this is going to be his most excessive film, so more blood, more guts, more, 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 more. Um, even if you can have more than what was in that, you know, Rambo here, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, um, but yeah, I guess a lot of it came down. I sort of loved that he cut this down for you know just quite a basic reason of I want to get more shows in, uh, which comes up a lot when we do this podcast. People are like, well, surely it makes sense for Hollywood to make the shortest film possible.
1: Everyone should follow the Cobra strategy and just just cut thirty random minutes from your film and see you know i'm sure it'll still make sense
0: often filmmakers when we, we talk to filmmakers they're sort of like you know it's right for the film it's right for the pacing it's right for the art But so Stallone's just like no more cash please one <laughs> extra show a
1: day that will do should, like, keep all the pepsi uh, product placement everything else can go i mean I, I can't yeah imagine how much product pepsi product placement there was before they 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 took the axe I, i'd like to think in the editing room brian thompson and all of his axe cultists like came in clanking their axes and just chop stuff but um yeah, I mean the, the Pepsi the Pepsi stuff is kind of the elephant in the room because <laughs> like it's the one thing I I kind of bring up when someone mentions Cobra is just the fact that Cobra inexplicably has a Pepsi well it's a giant neon Pepsi sign yeah. on the wall of his apartment. <laughs> and um yeah, you mentioned the the iconic like opening scene in in a supermarket where yeah, during that shootout at one point um, Stallone is standing next to, <laughs> like, not just a giant sign for Pepsi, but there is a, a cup of Pepsi pouring Pepsi into another Pepsi can. Like, it's like a, you know. It, so, I mean, this is the most extreme product placement I think I've ever seen in a film.
0: Is is kind of crazy because you know I guess like we, we people talk about product placement and you know sometimes people try and be quite subtle with it. Sometimes you can get wise if it pops up in lots of franchises like Bond or Fast and Furious with their Corona drinks. But uh and this is just every scene has got a Pepsi sign in the background. He might as well be wearing a Pepsi
1: t shirt. <laughs> um, you know, I think in the you know, in one of the cut scenes he probably is. But but what's fascinating is his partner drinks a Coke and it really jumped out on the last time I saw it I was like what there's a scene where he gets a can of Coke out and drinks it and it almost felt like a betrayal how did that slip
0: through yeah there must have been like a Pepsi uh, you know like uh, continuity guy on set just like making sure (laughs) making sure and maybe a cheeky prop guy just uh, snuck him a Coke
1: yeah something's going on there like I thought maybe that could have been like a little indication that he was he was going to betray Cobra at some point because he's got the Coke but no that doesn't happen
0: Um, I think I'd love to see what the
1: Pepsi boardroom was like
0: Like, how many millions have we spent on product Placement in uh, cobra it, all of the millions sir don't worry it's going to be great okay let's do the screening for pepsi employees and <laughs> everyone freaking out when the coke can <laughs> came on screen
1: <laughs> yeah it, there must have been an uproar but it's um it is remarkable it's it's very strange and very random it's like something out of world
0: Cobra does like his food, and actually, we see him uh, watching TV and eating pizza uh, early on in the movie. Um, often in action films, you never see the people eat or you know do sort of day-to-day stuff, so it's quite nice to see uh, Cobra have dinner one night. But um, the way he serves his pizza up is pretty remarkable. This is the
1: second thing I talk to people about <laughs> when I talk about Cobra: is the pizza scene is so strange, and I've tried and tried to find Stallone talking about this scene, but yeah. So what happens is you 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 know after a good day's work. of of blasting perps at the local supermarket Cobra goes back to his apartment he's slightly mm, he has an encounter with some Latino guys who have taken his parking space that's quite it's not great that scene is it I mean it's not it doesn't establish him as a very nice character so he's like bullying these guys and then um, yeah you see him in his apartment and he's hungry so he gets up he goes to the freezer he takes out some pizza a slice of pizza from the freezer and then proceeds to cut it in half with a pair of scissors. And then he watches some TV. So that is like one of the weirdest scenes in an action film I've ever seen.
0: So how did that make it through like on set? You're like, oh, are we going to, are we filming this? It's
1: like, uh, <laughs> do you want <laughs> to, you sure you want to scissor the pizza? It's super weird. I, I've been doing some digging over the last week and trying to find like, what what is this about? And I, I think it might be an Italian thing because there's footage of, uh, on the David Letterman show, Martin Scorsese's mum comes on and apparently she cuts a slice of pizza with a pair of scissors. And um, is it an Italian thing? I, but what's it, I, I still don't get why it's frozen pizza. No, that, that, that's, a, that's uh, an error. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> Unless not... he was you know, just going to, yeah, I don't know, maybe he likes his pizza super cold. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's got
1: real hot, killing all his perps. <laughs> he's so tough, he needs some ice ice cold pizza to like gnaw he should, on. He uh, put it in his Pepsi glass. <laughs> yeah, dip it in the Pepsi He's not on a healthy diet, is he? He's not a healthy man.
0: Uh, there is a director's commentary on the Blu-ray, and actually, I might listen back to it and see what um, the director says during the uh, pizza cutting scene, just uh, in case he can shed any light. Um, come on, George, pull through Poor George, maybe
1: he wasn't there that day. <laughs> I don't
0: know. <laughs> oh yeah, we we argued for weeks over this. <laughs> I said no, Sly. <laughs> I need to know more. I don't deal
2: with psychos. I put him away i ain't no psycho man i'm a hero i'm a hero of the new world you're a disease and i'm the cure
0: it is a really good looking film and you know during the 80s a lot of these films are you know it's all shot in camera you know special effects happen in camera things do get blown up people wear squibs of blood packs and, and pop off there's real uh, car chases all that sort of stuff um and I think, I think what this film lacks in any sort of narrative, uh, you know, kind of depth... It makes up for by just looking great. You can tell this was an expensive film, and I guess at this point, Stallone would demand the best heads of department, uh, you know, great camera people, great production design people, costume people,
1: uh, and it really... It, actually, I was surprised by like actually just how into uh, the visuals I was. It's a good-looking film. It's a mood piece. I mean, I think if you take it as a mood piece, it works better, because if you take it as a a story, a narrative, you're going to have trouble uh, understanding what's going on. But um, yeah, if you take it purely on a kind of the vibe of the film, it's really enjoyable and especially in the second half. Um, yeah, like it's sort of got a bit of a Miami Vice vibe, but yeah, that, that whole final set piece in what is apparently a lava factory. Um, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It's like kind of got there before Terminator 2 did to have your like sh- final showdown in a factory that inexplicably is fully operational, but there's not a single employee in there. At least in T2, you kind of see the, the few people running away. But in this one, um, they end up going into, uh, you know, this is this is Cobra and uh, Bridget's character um, being chased by Brian Thompson and his axe maniacs. And, um, yeah, they run into a a factory that there are buttons you can press in this factory that just make walls of flame. (laughs) And there are meat hooks and it's crazy and none of it makes sense, but it's gorgeous to look at.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's true, but like a lot of eighties uh, action films always seem to end up in a factory or like lots of like have like felt like alien, you know, it isn't in a factory, but it's very industrial and Terminator has that look and and sort of you know I I guess you know, Mad Max has that sort of dystopian look and in a factory you can really uh hammer at home. So it sort of felt like he was sort of tapping into to something, you know, for that sort of boss fight uh, in the in the
1: factory. In the lava factory, definitely. He was going for something. I don't know, maybe he's making some kind of comment about industrialization. Um, it's a little bit unclear, but yeah, it's it's a really good looking scene. And, um, you know, the action is good in the film as well. Like you said, like the, the camera work is good. It feels epic. Um, and yeah, there's some really good, good stuff in it. I, I, like an interesting fact is that Reagan, who was friends with Stallone in this period, watched this film at the White House. Wow. <laughs> and that's something I really struggle to imagine is Ronald Reagan watching, like, especially the scene with the robots. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what did he make of it?
0: Ordering some frozen pizza and getting some Pepsi's in <laughs> and just chilling out in the White House screening room, yeah, yeah. Uh, the private cinema. So, yeah, so Bridget Nielsen is, uh, is, is the I guess, one of the co stars here. And she's a, a model who witnesses a crime, and, and uh, Stallone ends up sort of buddying up with uh, her to, to go through the rest of the film. But that scene, her introduction scene, is absolutely wild it's uh it's a bit like the in um austin powers when you know he's he's posing for the camera and he's like yeah baby yeah baby uh, it's that sort of like you know very like rich sort of 60s style photography shoot but it's in the 80s she's wearing lingerie or like a very you know like slim sort of white bodysuit and a fur coat and in the background Just lots of robots, lots of really janky looking sort of stuff that looks like it's from the Clangers um, in the background. And the camera's doing lots of like tilts and and swerves and stuff. And it really, after the brutal, you know, supermarket shootout to then cut to this, like we
1: rewound that scene so many times. It's a hell of a tonal swerve. And it's well, what's great about it is it's a montage. So it's this is the Angel of the City montage. So that's a song by Robert Tepper, who did the uh, rocky four song no easy way out and and it's a good tune um and the editing is hilariously literal like there's a lyric about the edge of a knife and it just cuts to like someone with a knife like <laughs> running the edge over something and then we get lots of axes we get lots of robots and then it also cuts uh, to lots of shots of stallone and his p- cobra and his partner walking around the city like looking for clues uh, and inter- interrogating suspects and i love it because it's literally just them going up to people and the, the person shaking their head yeah. so presumably <laughs> they're just going are you an axe are you an axe murderer nope okay see you later <laughs> so i don't know what what line of questioning they're pursuing but um yeah like you said it's a it's a bravura set piece it's
0: just it's wonderful. Yeah, I do love that they cross cut it with Stallone doing some you know like some proper police work, asking about have you seen an axe murderer uh, on on the street. But uh, I guess I wonder if that's part of the brutal edit. Just we need to cut out half an hour or whatever. We need to introduce uh, Bridget's c- uh, character, and we also need to show <laughs> Stallone doing some police work because there's quite a few montages throughout the film which have a, an amazing you know eighties like power battle They don't fit the top of them, uh, but they do move the
1: plot forward. I think it's actually quite um, efficient storytelling in a <laughs> Most way. Most of the plot is moved forward during that word. Dialogue-free scene. The song does all of the heavy lifting. The song does a lot of it. Does a lot of dots uh, connecting. Um, but yeah, it's there's not a lot of plot to this film. There really isn't. I don't know if there's any really. Technically, it's it's very plot light. Um, it's you know, uh, Cobra meets um, is it Ingrid In- Ingrid I think and um, and then yeah, pisses off Brian Brian Thompson and Brian Thompson and his people. You know, there's the corrupt cop lady who. Um, is so blatantly yeah, like so we blatantly never, bad
0: when eventually like she, I guess she's sort of following them as they go. They hide out in motels and 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 they're on this sort of case. But when it was revealed that she was a villain, and we we're like, oh, obviously, yeah, I mean, who else <laughs> would it
1: be? She's...
0: I'm sure you see her with an axe earlier on in the cult. Like, it's, I, I, it felt like it wasn't the reveal. that The film was telling us wasn't the reveal. The <laughs> reveal that we were experiencing. You do see her
1: <laughs> clanking. Um, she's part of the clankers. But yeah, it's, it's 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 it's. I kind of like that you don't learn more about the villains because I just like the fact they're standing in a warehouse, empty warehouse, just clanking constantly. And and I think they're called New World, the name of the cult, and um, what the hell they're up to, what they're hoping to achieve. It's very it's very unknown.
0: I mean, I'd love to. I mean, even I like, just see the storyboards or read the script to see what was what was. How. I'm sure it wasn't a lot of like rich plots, you know. And and maybe it, it, um, it was the right thing to do. But I I do think you know the film. It never, I was never bored and it did kind of leave me on a high at the end. I thought it was like 89 minutes well spent.
1: 89 minutes well spent. That should be the tagline on the, that should be the third tagline. I was at home with a frozen pizza and a can of Pepsi. I was having a whale of a time. It is really fun. It's fun. It's just a blast of insanity and it's, it is fun. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of it's it's like do I recommend this film unironically? I'm not sure. I think you have to have a heavy dose of irony to appreciate it because it's so it's so solemn and it takes itself so seriously and there's no indication that anyone involved was in on the joke, but I find it hilarious and um it's so over the top, like everything, like, like the night, uh, the night slashers um, played by Brian Thompson, the night slasher is the villain. And I guess he gets a knife, but everyone else has got an ax. I guess the knife is better than an ax, but he's got this deranged knife. It's like the craziest knife you've ever seen in a film. And apparently, um, They made a giant three-foot version of this knife for (laughs) close-ups. You know how in like Lord of the Rings, for the ring close-ups of the ring, they made this giant ring. Apparently, they did that with this knife, and they made a three-foot giant knife.
0: Classic in-camera, you know, uh, filmmaking techniques there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They are actually called the night slashers as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. Night slasher. I mean, that's a good. uh, That's a good bad guy name. But, um, yeah, Brian Thompson, who is one of those, like, classic, you know, just a bad dude and everything. I know him from the X-Files. He played the alien bounty hunter in that. But um, he, um, he apparently on set would keep peppering Stallone with questions about his character's motivation. And Stallone just kept saying, it doesn't matter. He's evil. And that was all he would say. And um, they didn't get on, apparently. And, um, yeah, the Night Slasher himself was denied access to the premiere. Like, Brian Thompson didn't get a ticket. And he was quite bitter about it. And actually, I just learned today, did you know this? Brian Thompson made a spoof of The Expendables. Oh, no. Which he wrote and st- directed and starred in called The Extendables.
0: Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. I wonder if it's under 90 minutes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like joke films should always be under 90 minutes. Yeah. So The Night Slasher, yeah. The, yeah the extend- if The Extendables is over 90 minutes, something has gone wrong. Um, but yeah, I love that The Night Slasher got his revenge finally on Stallone. That They were genuine enemies.
0: I sort of read it wasn't a yes it wasn't a wasn't a happy set and Stallone wouldn't do a lot of scenes with Brian Thompson so he was often in his trailer and Thompson would have to like act up against, against crew members um, you know script supervisors and whatnot um, it, it, I don't know I mean that's just something that Stallone would have been doing throughout this time right not not showing up for reverse shots and you know any of the mundane bits of filming
1: this was in his kind of entourage where he had a big entourage of a big bulky man who I think the cinematographer of this film did an interview where he just said that these guys were like paid to like listen to Stallone stories um, and um, yeah it was it was an unhappy set I think it's from the sounds of it Um, although Stallone uh, was very loved up with Bridget Nilsson so they were spending a lot of time canoodling on set and apparently that would slow the shoot down but yeah it would have been an interesting set to be on for sure because like I said I don't think there's any sense that anyone was um, meaning for this to be fun or, or comedic let's say you won't shoot murder
2: is against the law you have to take me in If... you can. Even I have rights. Don't I? Pig. Take me in. They'll say I'm insane. Won't they? The court is civilized. Isn't it? Pig. But I'm not. This is where the law stops. And I start.
0: Suck him. Where was Stallone in his career at this point? He was. Rock, uh, Rambo 2 was just out from George Cosmatos.
1: Yeah, he'd, he'd done uh, Rambo 2, which was absolutely gigantic. Um, and, uh, you know, just pure excess huge huge action movie and then uh yeah Rocky 4 which was equally huge I think those two movies made the same amount of money but they were they were gigantic monster hits so this was him at his absolute peak and um, yeah this was the start of his more experimental phase where he made a couple of films with Canon so this was the first film he did with Canon who were uh, um, you know they did stuff with Chuck Norris they were the less respectable um, studio. Uh, making films in the eighties and uh you know he did over the top with them that didn't do so well. Um but yeah this was this was really like a time where he was taking big swings and um I guess trying to I guess this was him trying to compete with Clint Eastwood on the kind of the I think Gene Siskel called Cobra filthy Harry. <laughs> um but yeah I think that you know you got like two types of action movie in this period you got the kind of the foreign the, the one where they'd go to another country and like take down a whole army and then you would get the ones where someone would play a cop and they'd be in the city and they would go up against whoever the villain was so yeah Stallone was like toggling between those two settings um but um yeah it's 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 wild it's like the bad guys in this just I guess represent everything bad in the world and you need a guy who's even even tougher and wears all black and wears sunglasses indoors to like take it down. So
0: everything is dialed up to 11 I I think that's why it was a fun watch like it is it's just so we don't get films which are kind of like this big in terms of scale and, and talent involved and, you know, just kind of like this wild, like the most violent. He's the coolest cop. The villains are the baddest bad guys. <laughs> They've got the gnarliest knife, <laughs> uh, you know, all of, all of that sort of stuff. But um, I mean, it didn't it didn't do like loads of money, but it still made a profit. Like he's still turning turning a, a profit on these films. I think it opened badly in the US, but did quite well worldwide um there was probably a bit of an ego blow after Rambo and and Rocky and 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 all of that sort of stuff
1: definitely a lot smaller than that yeah I think Stallone probably considered this a failure I mean it made a profit I think it made about 160 million and it probably cost 20 30 so it would have made quite a bit of it's quite a bit of money but I think it definitely wasn't up there i think at that time especially he was like every film has to be as big as the last one
0: i guess it's not good to have headlines which like doesn't doesn't open as well as rambo or doesn't do it you know it's it's a a bit of a swing and a miss (laughs) yeah i
1: think like you said this was this could have been a a franchise easily and um you know we could have got multiple cobras it felt like he's engineering you know we got a bunch of beverly hills cops and i'm sure the intention was for this to be a franchise. you know, it's an iconic character. You know, he's silly, but it's an iconic character with lots of ridiculous things about him. And imagine a film that would have teamed him up with Axel Foley. Imagine.
0: Maybe that would have happened. Yeah, I feel like he, I just think that as soon as they were up against Top Gun and he decided to cut the film right down, that was, there's no more of these. Like we, yeah, you know, we we're going to try and like lose gracefully and, and maybe, maybe not so gracefully <laughs> uh, now. But it's a shame. I think I would have liked the further adventures of Cobra. I'm sure if, if he did, we'd still be seeing Cobra films from Stallone uh,
1: today, who's, you know, recently played Rocky and Rambo. <laughs> once more yeah yeah i I wish we were getting cobra five this summer they were talking about uh doing uh, a reboot with robert rodriguez um recently like as recently as like i think like three or four years ago but then that seems to have gone a bit cold as cold as one of cobra's pizza slices yeah it's it's weird that this is just a one-off because so many of those films got sequels from back then and it does feel like the one that could have been a series the most
0: don't don't count him out. Still, so still, still working. Still making films. Might, maybe it'll be a straight to uh, you know a streaming service, straight to HBO Max or something. Um, it could be there. I know um, Nick, Nicholas Winning Ruffin said he's a big fan of uh, the film, and actually, I mean, just looking at the poster, it looks like the poster for Drive. You know, True. like two cool men wearing sunglasses just being so cool doing crime stuff
1: that's true actually yeah i can kind of see a bit of nicholas windreff in you know the use Maybe of he colors be a good and... remake person mm.
0: um he can do the violence that's for sure yeah. i think he could do a you know a gang of uh, axe-waving neo-fascists uh you know justice on the big screen
1: yeah that could happen that could happen um but yeah there's still the cobra rope cobra, cobra robot team up movie uh, it's still out there and I want to see it now
0: I'm going to try and find this when we put the podcast out but there was a Cobra video game at this time lots of like early video game tie-ins happened we had Rambo video games and other you know sort of uh, shooty pixel type games uh, but yeah I'm sure the game is you just sort of blasting people through supermarkets
1: I was I was talking to James Dyer my, my Empire colleague James Dyer about this just before coming here today and uh, yeah he was had fun memories of the Cobra video game he's played oh, wow. it apparently um, you start off without any weapons and you're playing Cobra and it just says use your head and you're just headbutting people for like the entire first level with <laughs> Cobra headbutting people. But it was a really weird um, period for video game adaptations because, like, you were getting, you know, games aimed at kids of really inappropriate <laughs> things. So they were Rambo, but also cartoons. They were like, I remember playing the, the Navy SEALs Game Boy game, like, way before I saw the film Navy SEALs, which is pretty violent. But I was, like, very young playing that. And, um, yeah, you would get you would get cartoons of Rambo. I mean, it's not inconceivable they could have done a Cobra cartoon. Yeah,
0: like a Saturday morning Cobra cartoon.
1: Yeah, the, there was a Chuck Norris animated series. Um so it's it was a strange time. But yeah, the 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 Cobra video game definitely a, an oddity. Um uh, but yeah, it involved a lot of headbutting.
0: Okay, I, I need to play this game. Um, <laughs> actually, the games had got better reviews than the film did. T- oh, my God. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> Don't tell Stallone. Uh, that, 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 that supermarket scene at the start was originally going to be set in a movie theatre which um, it would probably have prompted some good one-liners. It's a little bit short. If it has a weakness, Cobra, and I'm not sure it does, if it, has, if it has a slight, like, flaw, I think the one-liners in it are not... I mean, the best one-liner is, is you know, you're the disease, I'm the, I'm the cure, and they use that as the, as the tagline for the film. Obviously, it's an amazing line, but it doesn't have... Doesn't ha- it's not like peppered with iconic one-liners. I don't think uh, uh, Stallone films ever quite got the level of Arnie one-liners.
0: No, Rambo doesn't have a catchphrase, does he? Or like Rocky doesn't really go into that sort of uh, stuff.
1: No, I'm sure there are some good Stallone lines, but they don't jump into your mind like the Arnie ones, but I feel like, you know, Cobra's not really a quippy guy, but yeah, maybe if it was in a movie theatre, maybe he would have you know, I don't know, time for an intermission. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um but yeah it's uh it's a it's a sl- slender film but very satisfying.
0: A slender film, very 1986, has an absolutely banging soundtrack, would recommend uh, seeking that out. Lots of, uh, yeah, lots of 80s, you know, rock tunes and ballads and, and and things. I can't remember which track plays out over the end credits, but um, the film ends quite abruptly, <laughs> like a lot of uh, films that have been edited uh, down do, and, and he just sort of drives off on his motorbike and then instantly the ballad, you know, pops up and the credits are on screen.
1: I love a, I love a good 80s action movie, Power Ballad, you know, Commando has a absolutely cracking one at the end that's just completely completely inappropriate to anything you've just watched and it's just got like the most ridiculous lyrics but um, yeah I do wonder with the end of Cobra whether Top Gun whether that was a a reshoot thing after Top Gun came out because it's extremely Top Gun Mm. it's him it's him riding on his motorbike with Bridget behind him and it's basically Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis in Top Gun I do wonder whether they they, did they watch Top Gun and then add that or was that just a coincidence but um, there was definitely a lot of that in the summer of 1986 of, of people riding around on motorbikes
0: not hugely well reviewed at the time but i think now maybe because of the the poster and just the visuals you know it has become you know a bit more of a, an iconic film and a lot of my friends were saying you know we're going to be talking about cobra on the podcast and like, oh, i watched it as a kid i think it was a bit of a video store uh, you know favorite so yeah maybe it found its audience at home
1: i think there's a real following for it um i definitely have um spoken to quite a lot of people and whenever i tweet about it you get a lot of replies from people who just have a huge soft spot for it um I, I, I think it's the fact it's, yeah, I think it's the fact there is no irony to it that makes it kind of lovable, that um it's so silly, but takes itself so seriously, there's something beautiful about that. Because I think nowadays, everything is kind of a bit winky, and um, everything is, you know, sort of slathered in irony, and so it's quite refreshing to have something like this that just, you know genuinely is completely serious and po faced, um, but yet so pumped up and over the top. You know, for everything we were saying about this film being silly, the the bad guys are genuinely threatening and frightening. And there's this just this fixed sense of pervading evil. Like these guys are absolutely everywhere. Like anyone could be one of these. And I think that they they pull that off pretty well, that sense of um that sense of danger. And um yeah. It's that that makes it that makes it stand out. I think from these 80s action films, it feels like something could happen, something bad could happen to anyone. Cobra
0: is going to be in our ninety minutes or less film festival. I think the first Stallone film to be in the festival, but as part of our film festival, it is all about screening films on the big screen. And uh, and yeah, we'd love to give you a copy of the film and uh, a blank check to you know book you know the right venue to show cobra in if if, if, if we could set this up where would you like to screen uh, cobra for an audience
1: oh it's got to be pitch house central my <laughs> favorite cinema i'm not just saying that i love pitch house central um so much so my answer is always going to be that i i you know there is no no better place gotta have screen one uh, you gotta hear those axes clinking and clunking in in beautiful um stereo yeah uh, that would be a dream and um you know, to see that frozen pizza up big. It's, it's one of my life streams for sure
0: food and drink is is an important part of the cinema going experience so maybe we do maybe the menu that night is some frozen pizzas <laughs> do, you, of scissors on do every, you do pepsi uh we're one of those cinemas where people say do you can have a coke You're like no it's pepsi okay I have to say that so yeah we've got <laughs> pepsi ready. pepsi's on tap <laughs> uh unlimited pepsi Throw all the frozen pizza you could possibly possibly dream of and if you had the opportunity i guess to to introduce this film and and maybe do A Q&A with someone afterwards who would you like to talk to
1: hmm well i mean if it's someone involved in the film i mean stallone would obviously be great (laughs) if if he's available but um yeah i mean it would be great to hear brian thompson's tales i think the night slasher he doesn't get to say much in the film but i think he it sounds like he's got some interesting stories up his his cultish sleeve (laughs) the sleeve of his weird gown that he wears so yeah the, the brian thompson would be interesting
0: yeah it'd be really fun to hear from from him and and i don't know i guess i wonder often when a star is as big as stallone you don't sort of see them doing q a's or introductions but maybe with a bit of time maybe you know stallone's had you know like 30 or so years to reflect uh on the film maybe he's got some
1: secret stories that haven't been shared he must have some pizza-based revelations that will blow the lid right off this thing um yeah i would yeah it, to hear stallone talk about cobra would be a joy
0: okay well we can do this let's make this happen let's make the uh, cobra screening
1: frozen pizza pepsi
0: and stallone and brian <laughs> thompson as well why not let's get re-teamed them on stage Reteam them. <laughs> and hope there's no slashing uh yeah i guess in your in your job as uh, empire you, know, you get to talk to lots of film stars
1: have you ever interviewed stallone no I, he's actually the one uh, guy out of the eight Uh, action stars in the book that i have not actually spoken to um i would obviously you know it would be fascinating i don't know now this book is out i don't know whether he'd want to talk to me um but um yeah no he's the one he's the he's the he's the white whale yeah he's a really funny dude like that was one thing like reading all these interviews with him um and listening to you know him talk during my research like he's such a funny guy it's a weird thing because comedy wise it just doesn't work for him on on screen like he tried very hard to do what schwarzenegger successfully did and become an action comedy guy not just an action guy but whenever he tried comedy it just you know whether it was oscar or stop my Mom shoot famously or whatever he would rhinestone like it it always failed so but but he's hilarious like he's very very smart and witty and has a great turn of phrase and um is extremely um, self-deprecating about his his work, and some of the harshest things about any of his films will be said by Stallone. Oh wow! <laughs> I think he said, uh, "Yeah, his his line about stuff my mom will shoot is fantastic. I can't remember exactly, but it's like something like an extraterrestrial tapeworm could have written a better <laughs> script than this." <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's a he's a very uh, very funny dude.
0: Nice. well maybe this is the opportunity we'll get him you know, maybe it's an extended Q&A it's an hour or so of just him in conversation mulling on Cobra and everything else around 1986
1: just get that neon Pepsi sign out front of out front of here and he'll be here he'll show up
0: it's the bat signal for him Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> um, well thank you Nick it's really nice to talk to you and, and and have you on the podcast thank you for the gift of Cobra um, I'm glad crime is a disease but we've met the cure now so so we're okay there and, and thank you also for the last action heroes uh, really enjoyed reading this book and uh, and I can highly recommend recommend your, your previous book too. Um and it's not just a book if you're someone who likes listening to things in your ears you've got an audiobook version of uh, last action heroes
1: yeah it's read by bronson pincher of Bedley hills cop so <laughs> there's a cobra connection there and he does an absolutely brilliant job of reading it and i'm still can't believe that he has read the audiobook but yeah that's available as well so yeah have that a listen wild yeah, <laughs> really wild uh, okay well I've, I've read the book but i think i might
0: have to listen to uh, <laughs> to that um and it's out now it's out wherever you're uh, wherever you're listening to this on itunes you can listen to the audiobook and all good bookstores uh, for last Action heroes
1: yep do some crunches slather yourself in baby oil and have a read
0: and you can also see your work in empire every month uh, do recommend picking that up and uh, you can follow nick on twitter and there are actually I would say quite a lot of Stallone gifs um, and Cobra related uh, things on your account. You're very good at picking like clips from movies and and uh, you know sharing them with a with a wider audience. So do follow Nick on Twitter.
1: Yeah, I do like a Stallone gif. I think my my uh, predecessor Terry White, the great former editor of Empire, and I communicate on Twitter largely through Stallone gifs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I try and keep the Stallone content content coming.
0: Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.
2: he yeah, does something weird, he cuts the pizza with scissors, I wish we had an ad for the suit. pizza, some famous pizza.